Live to see it, friends, and welcome to the world transformed. This program is your guide to an astounding future that lies ahead, one that will be here sooner than you think, and one that you have an important role to play in bringing about. At the world transformed, we want to introduce you to what may be the greatest transformation of them all. The one that begins with considering and acting on the almost limitless possibilities that lie before us and that ends somewhere beyond the reach of the human imagination. So, when does this amazing future begin? Well, today is the day. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me in the virtual studio is my co-author, co-futurist, and co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. How are you? Well, I am super fantastic. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Uh, so, subtle change there. Uh, yeah, the, uh, uh, if, if you got, if you got the change, uh, give us a call yeah. and you get your $10,000 prize, okay? But the, uh... <laughs> By that, uh, we, we, you know, something that's worth $10,000, and that would be a copy of this book uh, that we uh, come off. Right? <laughs> that's right. So. We'll give you a, not only, hey, you know what, Stephen? Not only will I give you a copy of this book, listener, I will give all your friends, all your family, Anybody you want, you name it, and I'll give that person a copy of the book. Okay, as many as many as, as many we're, as you we're can. We're like the Oprah Winfrey with cars. With that's book. right. Yeah, you get a you book. get a free book, and you get a free book, and you get a free book. Of course, we're talking about <laughs> visions for a world transform. It's going to be out on Kindle very soon, so uh, stay tuned. We're uh, we're just finishing up a few details around that, and it's uh, it's on its way out. Uh, see the archives for last week's show for additional details, or. Just keep listening for upcoming shows when we're going to announce when it's finally actually available for download. All right, but tonight, Monday evening, we're talking about the hackable human. Uh, You know, Stephen, every week, either I come up with a bunch of links for a show, or you come up with a bunch of links for a show, or we, between the two of us, come up with a bunch of links for a show. But this this past week was mostly you sending me stuff, mostly you sending me stuff. And, And sometimes they form naturally into shows and sometimes it's a bit more of a challenge to to turn them into into thematic things we're just out looking for news that speaks to the future that that talks about accelerating change that talks about where things are happening where things are going next all that sort of thing but this one really jumped out at me it seems that there has been a lot of news in the past couple of weeks touching on the idea of people augmenting themselves people juicing themselves up one way or another or making just really fundamental changes or fixes to the human organism. This, uh, this first story is especially exciting. I mean, uh, you and I, Phil, are at the age where we've, we've you know, uh, got people in our families that, uh, you know, <laughs> that uh, have had some, you know, difficulties. What am I trying to say here? It's when you have uh, uh, relatives uh, or people that you're close to, that are uh, have a few years on them. Sometimes uh, you, you begin worrying about them, and uh, right. so um, and and so the, uh, this new one here is something that speaks to that that concern. New new Alzheimer's treatment fully restores memory function, and uh, you know, fantastic news, fantastic news. And, well, this and, is and, uh, th- yeah. I mean, this is so big because you see, if if you've known anyone, if you've been close to anyone with Alzheimer's and you see what happens as the disease takes its toll. It's just one of the most awful it's things brutal. to watch. It's, yeah. it's, bru- it's what, absolutely what, what, brutal because you're, you're, the person you love is going away and their body remains, you know, uh, still, still living. But uh, the, the person you know is just going away and it's, it's horrible. I, you know, 
Uh, I, it's uh, and so this treatment uh, is non-invasive. Uh, this we're talking about ultrasound, a therapeutic ultrasound. And in in the, in the story, Phil, it's, uh, it's it sort of explains how it works. It, uh, it somehow uh, by using this uh, ultrasound, it gently opens up the blood-brain uh, barrier to and allows the brain itself to dump it some of these toxins that uh, that cause. Uh, uh, dysfunction in the brain uh, in Alzheimer's patients, and uh, they and is working with the mice that they're testing it on, and uh, you know almost what what was the percentage of uh, uh, the, of the mice that showed improvement of symptoms? I, it was close to 100 percent, wasn't it? Uh, you know what? I I don't have that statistic 75. in front of me. But... 75 percent got their memory function back of the mice receiving the treatment. So um, and. That that's uh, that's a hopeful uh, that's a hopeful thing. So uh, perhaps uh, they'll enter human human trials shortly. This is uh, this is exciting. If if those percentages carried over, you think about what a tremendous treatment this would be for so many families, for so many people, so many individuals who are suffering from Alzheimer's to have their memory function returned. Now, one of my questions is: Does this mean? This means you actually get the lost memories back. Is that right? I, I'm not That's sure right. I understand the physiology of Alzheimer's as well as I should. But but these, uh, it, it's not just your apparently ability to the lay down are new still memories. There. Yeah, apparently the memories are still there, Phil, but they just can't be accessed. Right. And so uh, they get the memories back. So... Um, that's uh, and and you can kind of see that if uh, you know in, a, in an Alzheimer's patient they're they have their good days and their bad days right right it's almost right. like uh, it's almost like a partly cloudy day you can be talking to them one second and it, they're there and then the next second they're gone and you know give them fifteen twenty minutes and they're back again for a few minutes and and what's, uh, what's really interesting to very almost terrifying to picture. But what that what you're what you're seeing there is the result of this sludge, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. These amyloid plaques oozing around on their neurons, right? I mean, it's right. it, it, It's like there's there's sludge in the system, right? I mean, and and with ultrasound the, there, and, and there's no there. good way. The the brain doesn't have a good way of dealing with that kind of thing. In fact, the brain has is 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 you know fixed to keep the rest of the body from interacting with it because it can't have its own immune system. It, it, in order for the brain to operate, it can't be part of the rest of the body as far as the immune system goes. So right. you know, if you ever get an infection in your brain, you're, you're in bad shape um, right. because, because of that. But uh, you generally don't because uh, it, the brain is sort of set aside from the rest of your body. There's a blood-brain barrier. Well, this, uh, this, this thing allows that uh, barrier to be uh, dropped to, to allow the sludge to get out of there, to use your term. So um, that's exciting. That's exciting. It's, it's very exciting. It, it, it speaks to real hope, I think, for people who already have Alzheimer's. We, we've, we've, we've heard a lot about how it might be prevented, things that can be done to uh, stop dementia from occurring, stop uh, Alzheimer's in its track, uh, potential cures for Alzheimer's. But here's here's one that's just plain dealing with one of the worst causes, one, or excuse me, one of the worst effects of Alzheimer's, one of the worst things that it that it causes. It, I, I, presumably, this wouldn't fix everything that occurs in Alzheimer's, but this is a big one. 
this loss yeah. of memory and, and, and the ability to get this back. So, well, this it, is, it seems to me, Phil, if, uh, if it works for memory, maybe the other things, uh, you know, the physical lo- uh, loss of phys- physical function and other things could be similarly restored. I would hope so. Uh, this this uh, article doesn't speak to that, but I would I would hope that perhaps it could, you know, sludge is sludge, right? Whether I would think you know, so. Yeah, the the research yeah. is focused on memory. That's what they tested, right. and so that's that's the results that well, they're showing. Well, you know, showing, but I guess they, you put a mouse in the maze, and and uh, Alzheimer's mouse can't remember the way out of the maze anymore. But uh, w- with the treatment, perhaps they can. Something like, they're doing something like that. It's something like that, right? I, they, they, there's and, probably uh, ways the they could test for the physical that. stuff. You know what? It would be really hard to test a mouse for would be dementia, right? I mean, right, right. There, there's 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 no way to look for that. But presumably, right. you're right. This this would uh, this this would impact all of those. This this is you know. I, I, a question I had. Uh, you know, this is a therapeutic ultrasound, and I got to, I thinking. Well, does that give you a good picture of their brain while while you're doing the th- you know the therapy? And uh, so I read up just a little bit on therapeutic ultrasound, and it's at a higher energy than it would actually return a picture. Oh. So I wonder I wonder if uh, like uh, you know. If they do, you know, put the ultrasound in there, get a good picture of where they want to, uh, what part of the brains they want to hit, and then they turn it up to do the therapeutic part. I, I'm very interested in the uh, in, in the practical side of how they do that, but uh, I guess I'm going to have to study a little more because uh, it's it's certainly not in this article. Um, well, keep us posted what you find out about that because that is very interesting. I'd, yeah, I'd be interested. Have to know a that picture myself. of the brain would be a pretty pretty neat thing too, right? So. Um, uh, and, and certainly it's good to know what you're doing before you do it. Uh, right. So, um, and of course, brain scanning technology exists. There's PET scans and CAT scans yeah. and all kinds of things they, they do to get to I'm to sure get they images. coordinate in some ways like that, but uh, it would be, it'd be great to be able to do it in real time, right? You know, you say, okay, here's a problem, zap. You know, um, that, that to me would be the awesome thing. So I, I would hope it would be something like that. But I'll, I'll read up a little more and, uh, I'll, and, and maybe bring it up in a show next week or something. So Right. Well, speaking of the, speaking of the brain, uh, here, was a, here was a huge one from Technology Review. This technology could finally make brain implants practical. And what, what they describe here is tests that are about to start on monkeys of a new implant for piping data into the brain um, that is de- designed to avoid the previous roadblocks that had existed to having implants in the brain. So um, ultimately what you're looking at is a device that can restore vision to blind people long term. Th- this is yeah. research that's this, going on at Harvard Medical School, and they're starting with monkeys, but it's not going to end with monkeys, right? This is, this is uh, Again, a big fix, right? A, you know, we're talking about the hackable human here, but these are these are big hacks, right? If if you can if you can go in and and shake up the amyloids in Alzheimer's, that's big. If you can put a brain implant in and restore vision, that is huge. Right. I, I'm not even sure that we should have called this hack. Uh, this is like human repair of the first order, don't you think? Oh, yeah. Uh, this, is, this is the vision, what a cochlear implant is for hearing. And so let me criticize the uh, title of the article real quick, Make okay. Brain Implants Practical. Brain implants, Phil, have been at practical uh, for as long as we've had cochlear implants. That's a brain implant. Oh, okay? very good. And if it, if, it, uh, if it gives you hearing, then, you know, that's, that sure as hell is practical, I would think, mm. if, uh, if, you have, uh, if you get some hearing back. So, um, yeah, we've got practical brain implants. The thing is we want to make 
we want to be able to do more with brain implants than we currently do. And uh, so maybe this this headline is underselling the uh, you know what we are capable of doing already. We uh, we have uh, we, we certainly have uh, um, implants for many things, including uh, cochlear implants for hearing and. Uh, uh, you know, clinically depressed people. There's, you know, have implant implants that can uh, can help. If, I mean, if you're depressed to that extent, where where drugs are not helping, they they can do implants, and uh, uh, and and it's almost like a, a pacemaker for your brain. It's, wow. uh, rem- that's a re- that's remarkable technology there. Um, and there's there's so there's lots of brain implants already that are practical, um, but this is uh, obviously huge to be able to, uh, um, you know, basically do a Geordie LaForge, right? That's what we're talking about. Um, uh, yeah. Give, yeah, like Geordie uh, in Star Trek, he, he wore that so, visor, which allowed yeah. him to take in visual information. Actually, I guess it's a little different because the visor was taking it in rather than his eyes. In this case, right. this is going to this is going to turn, this, this is going to be the interface that allows the information from your eyes to get into your visual cortex correctly. Right. In the same way that the, the cochlear implant works on people who aren't deaf because their ears don't work, they're deaf because that wiring is messed up, and it fixes that, and it allows that information to get from the get from the ear me, into the into the brain. Okay, I, I think it's it straight up is Jordy LaFord. So let me let me read this from the article. The device oh, okay. will be used to stimulate the visual cortex of monkeys to try to recreate the activity normally triggered by signals from the eyes creating the sensation of sight without the eye's input. Oh, you're right. Okay, so very good. We're talking about something like a, it, it probably won't look like a, hair, uh, a banana clip, like Jordy's, Jordy's uh, eye visor, but, uh, it, you know, it, it could, I suppose, uh, be something similar to that. It's, uh, um, and that would be remarkable and, and very practical for people that need, need it, right? So. Well, uh, as as with the previous story, you're, you're, you're talking about just a completely life-changing, world-changing potential oh, yeah. technology. In the same way the cochlear implant has been for people who could not hear, and suddenly right. sound is available to them. This makes sight available to people who can't see. And actually, come to think of it, it makes perfect sense that it would be for people whose eyes don't work as well as maybe for people whose eyes do work, but that but that wiring is mixed up. Yeah, why, why would you why would you want to draw that line? So. Yeah, basically, it's restoring vision to the blind. I don't know. If, yeah. if you consider that sort of thing a big deal, I kind of do. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's a big deal. That's big me. Deal. I'm easily impressed. But um, <laughs> I, 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 think, I think you're right that, you know, the technology could finally make brain implants practical is really missing the point. But let's contrast it with this next one, this next story, outlawing microchipping humans not so far-fetched. So... Most of us still don't have chips inside of our bodies. You know, cochlear implant being a, you know, a, a brain implant, kind of an exception. I don't know that I have any chips implanted in me, right? Do you have any in you? None uh, yeah. at all. <laughs> I'm chip-free yeah. at the moment. Uh, <laughs> at, at the moment, chip-free. Well, what happens, yeah. though, if there's handy ones available, and I'm thinking th- there might be something to help keep my memory in place as I get a little bit older. There might be something that actually I have vision problems and currently wear glasses for those. 
LASIK surgery is one option, but who knows? There, there, might be, there might be an implant sometime that corrects my vision for me. There's all kinds of possibilities around this kind right. of stuff, uh, all kinds of augmentations, enhancements that could potentially be done with a chip, but will not enjoy any of those benefits if doing that is outlawed. And that's what this story is. Outlawing microchipping humans, not so far-fetched, Nevada senator says. Here we've got a state senator in Nevada putting forward a bill to prohibit forced microchipping of people. Well, that sounds okay, obviously. Yeah. We, we don't want to force anyone to have a chip, maybe. We'll come back to that. But would banning forced microchips have this bleed-over effect of keeping people from having beneficial chip technology implanted? Is there a danger there? What do you think, Stephen? You're the lawyer. Uh, I think uh, carefully drafted uh, uh, bills uh, uh, could be could be um, uh, basically what this Nevada senator is, a uh, state senator is, uh, I believe it's a state senator. I think it's at the state level in Nevada. Yeah. State what, what he's yeah. talking about, I'm, I'm completely on board with. He she. Uh, wants to, he, uh, she, excuse me. She um, uh, is, is uh, putting forth something that I, I'm completely on board with. She is saying that, hey, we don't want it to be mandatory, and, and us going ahead and passing this now is not silly. Because there are places in the world where this is, you know, there are already mandatory chip, chipping, for, you know, for business. You know, if you want to work in our uh, in our factory, you can, you're going to have to be chipped, you know. Um, and we're we're just saying that, uh, you know, if you're running a a manufacturing facility in the state of Nevada, you cannot force your employees to be mandatorily chipped. I'm all I'm I'm on board with that. At the same time, then, uh, but uh, you know, obviously, I want to be free to chip myself to my heart's content too, right? Uh, right. It, it seems like that's the danger. Um, yeah. Things tend to become associated with the headline, and if the headline right. is "We're going to stop them from mandatory chipping," people get the idea that there's something wrong with any kind yeah. of augmentation. They get they get the idea that, the, that having the chip put in is the bad part. That's not the bad part, right? The bad part is being forced to do it, being required yeah. to do it, ha- having someone as, as make a, you do it against uh, your will. As a prerequisite will. to getting a job or, or something. No, we're just saying that, you know, that you can't say that to potential employees. And I think that's a fantastic idea, and I, I think that should be, the, you know, the national law. And it's a, it might be a little early to be pushing that, but if it's true that there are, you know, in other places uh, – that uh, you know that that is uh, required. Maybe it's not too early. Maybe, maybe yeah. we need to go ahead and do it. So, um, yeah. I wonder if there are workarounds that companies can do for things like this. For example, making people always have their company provided phone on them or something like that. Right? Is that uh, that, that would achieve would the same? I would see that as perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. That's perfectly fine. If, if uh, you know, there are lots of places you have to have some sort of lanyard or something on. Uh, if if they need instead of uh, no, a while you're while you're at the office, right? Yeah. But, it, it, if you're at the office, you always have to have this lanyard on, or you always have to have your company provided cell phone. If that lanyard happened to include a chip, great. I, there's no problem with that. That right. is as a prerequisite of the job. That's fine. But if you're requiring somebody to put something in in their body in order to, uh, that's a, that's a step too far. And I completely agree with uh, State Senator Becky Harris. Let me name her since I 
referred to her as a man earlier. Uh, let me go ahead and name her. Um, I, that's, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, Sorry, uh, Senator. Um, yes. Um, it's, I'm completely on board with her, and I think it's wise. I think um, I, I applaud Nevada if they're going to push this through as, as a leader in this. I think so, too. I, I, I think so, too. I, I, my, my sentiments are exactly on board, on, in line with yours. And, and I think the, the danger of people being forced and the risk of overreacting to the potential that this kind of technology can provide, these are about equal. So we have to be really careful with this. We, we have to make sure we understand what we're talking about and what we're prohibiting and what we're, what we're allowing. Because there's a lot of good that can, become, that, that can come from, from putting a chip inside of a person. And then there's just a lot of potential, all kinds of misuse and abuse that, that can occur. And we have to look at the issue holistically. That's the point. Right. What about this, Phil? Um, imagine you uh, are working in a a real sensitive area that has real sensitive data. And uh, the chip that I voluntarily choose to put in my body um, uh, has the ability to store data. And um, the fact that I have a chip that can store data wirelessly, let's say, um, would that be a security risk to a really data-sensitive uh, uh, place of employment? I think perhaps so. You're basically it's – it's the sort of place that would pat you down to keep you from uh, carrying thumb drives in, right? Right. What if the thumb drive is in your body? Um, Interesting. I, I, I think that, uh, you know, there may be some places that would say, you know, you can't have uh, in, in you a, uh, a device that, could potentially store the data that's so sensitive that we work with. Right. I could see that being a potential security issue for our firm. But But as technology gets smaller, easier to conceal, good luck enforcing that one, right? I mean, that's... Exactly, exactly. You'd you'd have to basically scan your employees every single time they come to work to make sure they don't have something new that would keep them, uh, that would allow them to take data outside the facility or something. Yeah, and potentially that would have to be a very thorough, very extensive scan. I'm thinking, yeah. Yeah. Um, just to be just to be sure, because we're, well, we're know, talking. And, and, we're just a few a generations away from having a you know molecular sized yeah pe- well, you could, pieces you could that could be made out of biological material, right? I mean, it'd be yeah, really you could, hard you could to take spot. something and, and store it on DNA and inject yeah. it into yourself. You know, who, right. who knows? I mean, it's uh, we're we're living in a uh, in a world where data wants to be free and I, I really feel for uh, firms that have real sensitive data uh, policies it's going to get harder and harder for them it really is but that's it's interesting tension to watch for companies that want to chip you and companies that want to make sure you're not carrying too much augmentation into the, into the workplace tech, right yeah <laughs> exactly very very interesting days ahead as we as we see these this this conflict play out okay we got one more big human hack this is my this is my favorite human hack to talk about. George Church indicates reversal of aging will be a reality within 10 years. Now, where have we heard that name, George Church, before? Well, if you've been following the story that has gotten an awful lot of attention lately, this is the guy who says we're about to bring the mammoth back, I believe. Um, he's, a, yeah. he, he's a big CRISPR advocate, and um, he is doing research around using the CRISPR genome editor 
to is he a Harvard seems like yeah Harvard researcher that's right yep scientist yeah. uh, working on bringing back the woolly mammoth using using genome editing but as an aside in an interview talking about that he mentions well actually we've got other things going on too and one of the big ones is we're going to be doing some therapeutic gene editing we're going to be editing uh, excuse me we're going to be looking at treatments for some of the conditions surrounding aging and eh, you know what we might start aiming at that at aging itself because i think that in about 10 years we're going to have the actual ability to reverse aging and of course for him it's all tied up in crispr and maybe that's right uh, it seems like if any technology is going to be able to enable that th this is a strong horse candidate for that what do you think Absolutely. Phil, I, this is such an interesting uh, excerpt here that I think we ought to like play it out like uh, as if I were interviewing you. Take the part of church, and I think we should go ahead and read it to the audience because it's that interesting. Okay, I'll, you be the uh, interviewer, I'll, I'll be and the I'll, be, interview. I'll, be, I'll be George Church. Okay. Okay, go for it. Uh, well, you asked the question, right? You got to. Oh, well, uh, uh, actually, uh, you're. you're, you're oh, I, I'm sorry. I don't it. think it's about stalling or curing. It's about reversing. He's referring to aging here. Curing gives you the impression of immortality. Stalling gives you the impression that you'll be 85 forever, which is not great. Well, using your most favorable pathway for intervention, how long will it take before human trials might be possible, Mr. Church? I think it can happen very quickly. It may take years to get full approval, but it could take as little as a year to get approval for phase one trials. Trials of GDF-11, myostatin, and others are already underway in animals, as are a large number of CRISPR trials. I think we'll be seeing the first human trials in a year or two. Can you say what those trials might be? I helped start a company called Editas that is aimed at CRISPR-based genome editing therapies in general. Some of those will be aimed at rare childhood diseases, and others, hopefully, will be aimed at diseases of aging. We also have a company focused specifically on aging reversal that will be testing these therapies in animal and human models. <laughs> so the interviewer at this point is going, okay, okay, you're dodging my question. He, he, he repeats his question. Can you say what those trials might be? <laughs> Actually, I think we just repeated. I, I think I just pasted okay. the same text. There. Well, did you? Uh, well, at any rate, <laughs> so uh, he continued. Oh, yeah. Actually, it's, so it's the same thing. Uh, it, it's it's the same answer. Yeah, that that would have been funny if he'd really gotten in his face like that. <laughs> yeah, so. he's, he's really he's really bearing down. But any rate, because he could have answered it that way. I helped start a company called Editas. That is him. <laughs> You know? I'm doing my best here, man. Start, you know, what are you? Are you not hearing? You Is there a problem me, with the line? But, but I, I think the fact that they, they have an unnamed company focused specifically on aging reversal that is going to be testing this therapy. That's very exciting. Yeah. I, I can't wait that, to hear more is. about this. That, that is huge. And right in but line. Hey, as much as I want the woolly mammoth, and I do want that woolly mammoth. You know, that's going to be awesome. I'm going to take my kids to the, to the. Uh, uh, I guess that would be the. Uh, Ice Age um, uh, Park, right, instead of Jurassic Park, mm -hmm. and, see, uh, and see the woolly mammoth and the saber-toothed tigers and everything else. And, uh, um, and, but it would be great to be able to do that in 80 or 90 years, right, because I'm, yeah. I'm in wonderful health, <laughs> thanks, uh, thanks to the, uh, the, work, the, the other work that these guys are doing. So neat stuff. Yeah, very exciting stuff. L looking forward to hearing more from – this individual from George Church and from his as yet unnamed company that, that is, is off to one side doing this stuff, and also everyone else who's just giving CRISPR a look, everyone else who's just starting to look at how genome editing might play a role in 
treating aging and in, let's face it, hacking humans altogether. Everything we've talked about um, in this entire show could go back to the ability to modify the genome and to make who knows what kind of changes. But in, in terms of augmenting vision, restoring vision, augmenting hearing, restoring hearing, uh, curing Alzheimer's, fixing memory, all of that kind of stuff, CRISPR holds all those potentials. And I think we're at the very, very beginning of truly the age of the hackable human. Lots more to come. Yeah. We could make this the subject of every show, I think, Phil. We I probably really, could. I, we know, could just do a podcast about this. That's right. And we yeah, could do a show every day. Just that all the time. Yep. Because it's that, it's that much stuff happening. But, you know, there's more in the future than this. So, uh, we, you know. And speaking of which, we're going to have to come back on Wednesday and talk about some of that, including pizza delivering <laughs> robots. That's also important, you know, in addition to... Uh, <laughs> in addition to being healthy enough to enjoy the pizza in 50 or 60 years, you can, you can have it delivered automatically. So we've got, we got more right. to talk about. That's right. Fun stuff. Uh, great talking with you, Stephen. Thank you all for being with us. We will be back on Wednesday with a brand new show. And until next time, live to see it. <laughs>